In association with the Omniverse Comics Guide, this is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from all over the world. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 292. Book of the Month Club, Comic Shenanigans, Cave of Solitude, Collide, Adam Chapman. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's not much longer that you can say Adam Chapman of Comic Shenanigans, so we should get used to that while we can. You will always be Adam Chapman, Comic Shenanigans, because the episodes will still be up, right? To, for people to listen to, like an archive? Um, as far as I know, I don't plan on taking them down. I so, mean, yeah, uh, people will always I, look that up. True. I have to actually um, look into that um, in terms of like the hosting I'm through, I go through. I think if I'm not putting up anything active, I can just downgrade to kind of like a free account and just keep the archive open. Uh, but I have, to, I have to check on the mechanics of that. I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. I, you know, I'm just kind of getting through um, where I, we just had episode 992 come out. Uh, so as we speak, we still have eight more left, which is, sounds insane. Um, although I think I mentioned to you and a few other people that I realized that I have two unnumbered episodes, or yeah. I, have a, I have a point one and a part B, um, which is you know in true comic book fashion. Um, so I'm still going to celebrate a thousand, but technically it'll be a thousand and two. But you didn't like an episode zero. Why not? Nope. Um, I don't know. I just didn't want to do it. Well, you know, it's not that I didn't want to do it. It's that it feels like if you do an episode zero, it has to be thematic with what a zero is. Because I was, and, and this is way inside baseball for people, but I had um, a good problem, which was too many interviews, not enough episodes left. Um, so I was like, "What do I do?" And you're like, "Do a do a zero episode." I'm like, "I can't, I can't do that." Like, there has to be a reason, and I can't just randomly say, "Hey, Chip Zdarsky's in a zero episode." I mean, <laughs> I'm sure he'd be fine with that, but what does that mean? I was gonna say the the last episode, the party, the the one that sends us off would be the zero. Like it would that would be the one. I mean, what are we zero hour here? Come on. Yeah, that would be perfect. Ah. <laughs> uh, speaking of zero hour, I feel like this of what we're about to do comes in and around that time. The book we're about it to talk does. about. In fact, the issues we're gonna read in a lot of ways are completely bizarre because a big event happens and then it's just gone. It happens somewhere else, and um, it's just—it's a very awkward thing um, to explain. Yeah, you're gonna have to probably explain that to me because I've read a lot of that stuff, but hit hit or miss like patches. And I knew that there were a couple of events that involved some of the characters that we're gonna be discussing today. Spoilers. Let's just get yep. into it. Green Lantern. We're gonna stick to the '90s DC. It's the Emerald Twilight and New Dawn storylines. If you have an old DC trade from what year? 2004, 2003, somewhere in Something around like there. Something like that, yeah, like mid-2000s. It's interesting. It's it's extremely important and iconic, and I guess it was also partially reprinted in the Kyle Rayner trade paperbacks, right? Like, yeah. Now, was Emerald Twilight in there or no? I think so. I think um, because they reprinted the Hal Jordan. Or just the, pa- or just the pages, because there's like a couple pages he shows up in in those earlier issues. Yeah, I feel like they, they, re- they restylized the emerald dawn uh emerald dawn 2 with like that hal jordan green lantern they did like a 12 issue trade sort of thing yeah and, I then, remember that. and then they i think they did one or two of those and then it went right into the kyle rayner trades okay as far as the issues go but this what we're covering i think is issues 48 to 55 is what this collects 
That's right. Pretty good chunk of stuff. Like you said, uh, iconic. Um, sometimes it's just so bad that it's good. I don't, I, you know, I don't agree with that. I, uh, I think there's a lot of good in here. No, uh, there is a lot of good. That's what I mean. Like, it's so 90s, though. Oh, uh, mm, I don't know, but I don't. I don't know if I can agree with that. I, I, I think it's like what. What about it to you? Reeks nineties. Like when I think of the nineties, I think. I mean, besides Superman's haircut, which is an aesthetic thing and doesn't actually play a part in the actual story, but I would say like a lot of this doesn't feel that nineties to me as as much as it could have. I've, I've read a ton of nineties comics. You you show me like a, a next one comic from the nineties, you know it's from the nineties. There's just something about it. There's an aura. It's like the minute you pick it up, it shivers and it says, "I'm from the nineties." I did not feel that way with these books. I, I I don't know if they're the most contemporary per se as in twenty ten, you know, in the twenty twenties, but I don't think they're reeking of this is a nineties book. Beware. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. That's fair. No. No. And and listen, if anybody is uh, an expert in nineties comics. You come to mind for sure. That's like your sweet spot. You're a, as much of a '90s apologist as anyone I know, and and you have good argument yeah. for it. Like you make a, a really good argument. I will always love it. Well, and what, what are they? What is the classic, you know, thing? The, the you know the, the best year of comics is when you're 12. Um, so for exactly. me, that's like '95. Like that's just that that's gonna. There's a lot of bad stuff in '95. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if you want to read Avengers: The Crossing, good luck. But uh, you know. <laughs> There is a lot of good stuff to be found, uh, and there's some fun stuff in here, and I think there's a lot of good stuff in here, and I don't think it, again, to me, reeks of the 90s, but I'm excited about talking about it with you now, because I feel like we're on, on polarizing sides of, uh, of what this feels like. Okay. So to, to give people the Coles notes of, this, of these issues, um, this is the time, if you ever read Green Lantern in, in, during the Jeff Johns era, this is basically what happened to Hal Jordan he he goes like full-on full stop he, he tries to be a he tries to do a Thanos basically yeah. all out wants what he wants and will do it by any means necessary lives long enough to see himself become the villain essentially right really mm-hmm. that's the trope here and it goes from one one issue it felt like I don't know if there was something missing in between here in the in the trades that I have it goes from one issue of him just completely destroying the Green Lantern core as we know it, taking all of the power, the power battery itself, and absorbing it all. So there's only one aura left for there to be a, a, a lantern ring forged. And that's where we're left off. And Ganthit, the most well-known uh, guardian of the Green Lantern core, he gives it to the first human he sees, which happens to be Kyle Rayner. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Then you're off on this completely new Green Lantern without any of the baggage to really weigh him down in more ways than one. Yeah. Was well, there anything yes in no. between? Was there yeah. anything in between the issue where Hal becomes Parallax and then to the next thing? I don't know about in the trade here because I just got oh, what yeah. they printed. Yeah, no. Um, it, I mean, that's when Zero Hour, I believe, starts. Like, I, I'm not even sure, to be honest. Like, I'd have to look up an actual... Like, and DC is a little harder to find an exact chronology of this stuff, but yeah. I'd have to see exactly how long it was that he kind of disappeared. Because you're right, when you read it in you know in this type of trade paperback format, even in the original singles, you get to the end, he shows up, he's parallax, and then you're just on to the next thing. And you're like, wait, wait, what about what about that guy? <laughs> what 
what, what is going to happen there? Now, I guess if you're reading Zero Hour at the same time, uh, it would have become more evident what was going on. But I think even then, that, that reveal wasn't happening right away. So I, I feel like that's one of the things where, you know, if you're not reading it when it's happening and seeing all the books coming out, you are going to miss something in translation. It's it's inevitable, right? That there's just some things you're never going to get in the same way. And unfortunately, that's, especially with the way DC does the trades, DC does not believe in giving you, you know, first of all, usually proper covers or like, you know, in the proper places or giving you text pages that explain things. That's not really DC's jam. Whereas I feel like this was a Marvel book There'd be maybe some pages, text pages explaining the gap, um, you know, saying, oh, this issue, he was over here. This issue was over there. Like Onslaught's a great, great example of that. Onslaught had tons of scattered appearances. Well, in like their prelude books, they include those appearances. Even if it was a page here and a page there, they didn't include the entire issue, but at least they included the, you know, the relevant parts. So I feel like there was other things happening. Um, I don't know exactly when, when month zero hour was actually coming out, um, but yeah, when we read it in trades, it's incredibly discombobulating because you're like, whoa, whoa, what's what's happening here? Yeah. So I, I was I just felt like, wow, that's a shift. But what better way to kind of do it than to say this guy just destroyed everything and he's off. This is this is the survivor. This is how the legacy continues. It's very desperate. Maybe he'll face off against Hal Jordan eventually. Yeah, I, I do feel like it is a disservice to the storyline and to Hal to in the trades to just do it this way though because again it feels you know so disconnected and it just doesn't work no that's and i think that's the the for me i i like this book for the record like i i didn't want to come off to say that as though like this is just terrible but i i also don't feel it's the best comics i've read Mm. right there's a lot of stuff where you realize this is the pacing, he's still figuring out the pacing because it's Ron Mars changing, not really changing that much because he was doing Silver Surfer and Thor and things like that. Mm. And now he's kind of doing a cosmic DC, like the closest thing you can get to that. So he seems like the right fit, but he's also, it's almost like he's trying on a new pair of clothes. Mm. So I did some double checking in terms of the, the chronology. So Green Lantern 50, which was... Again, that appearance of uh, Hal Jordan, you know, kind of becoming Parallax, uh, was released February the 8th, 1994, and at Zero Hour uh, didn't actually come out for, um, like, months and months later. I think it was, like, five or six months later. Um, that's when it started. It started in uh, July, 20, sorry, July 1994, but again, it wasn't revealed that it was actually Hal until later on in Zero Hour, so it was pretty late. So, ultimately... It is a very weird spot because, again, you have February to August is when Hal Jordan's actually revealed as being, uh, you know, what what is behind Zero Hour. So I don't know what happened in that six months um, if they did show him anywhere. But uh, it does, when you read it here, it's very awkward um, because you have no idea where he went and why he's gone and why he's not dealing with Kyle. Like, it's just, it's very strange. That being said, if you kind of are able to divorce yourself from that, and obviously the comic wants it to, um, it's very easy to enjoy it and just jump in. I mean, we're essentially talking about two completely different storylines, right? We just happen to be, they're often collected together because it's both the end and the beginning. Um, yes. But they couldn't be more different from each other because uh, one is the, you know, ignominious? No, I can't remember how to say it. But it's a very, <laughs> it's a very sad, uh, dis, you know, dissatisfying end for, you know, a, a legacy character had been around, you know, since the 60s. Um, and Ignominious? Is that the word? That's the one. Ah. I'm very jealous. I couldn't I couldn't say it. It was too tongue-tied. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but yeah, you have this very sad end to Hal Jordan's story, which obviously ends up not being the end of the story. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's really just the beginning of the story. Um, yeah. Which you can say now, but at the time, I mean, do you remember about Heat? No. So there was a whole organization that was all about trying to bring back Hal Jordan. Okay. And like there was a like, there was a lot of fans who were really upset about it. And, uh, I mean, you know, they took things too seriously, which, you know, big surprise, people do that. Um, but they were a very vocal, you know, group that was very upset that people had, you know, that how had been done dirty, so to speak. And we talked before about how Barry Allen got to die a saint and you got to have Hal Jordan die a sinner and people did not appreciate that. So um, they had a group called Heat, uh, which was, I think it was, it looks like it was first stood for Hal's Emerald Attack Team. And then everyone agreed that it sounded eerily like a terrorist organization. So it was then changed to Hal's Emerald Advancement Team. So that was uh, the point of Heat was to try to bring back <laughs> Hal Jordan. This is crazy. But, I mean, you know, in some ways I got to respect it because, you know, it's ridiculous. fans are going to love something. And yeah. They love this character and they yeah. wanted him back. Yep. And, uh, you know, they, they, the problem is you had people, you know, at the time doing death threats and that kind of stuff. And that's when it, it becomes less fun and more, like, scary, dangerous. Um you know, because Ron, Ron Mars, you know, it's not really his fault. He was brought in to do a job, you know. Like, if you go back to, I think it's issue 47 or something, it, they're teasing a very different story. Like, this was a last-minute rewrite. Um, it was supposed to be a whole different direction for Green Lantern that was not this. Um, and then at the last minute, they decided to change their mind, and they killed off Hal Jordan instead. Uh, there was supposed to be a whole new era of Hal and the core um, that was completely different from what we got. So this was, you know, they did the best they could. Have you ever had a chance to talk to Ron Mars? No. I haven't. It's, it's, I mean, it's inevitable. That's one of the things he ends up, you know, being asked about a lot. Um, but he, he's, you know, pretty cool dude. And I've, I've talked with him about uh, Green Lantern before. I've actually been lucky enough to talk to both him and uh, Daryl Banks, uh, who originated the look for Kyle Rayner. So uh, you should definitely uh, look into getting those guys in your show at some point because, uh, you know, really interesting stories about working on such a very interesting period um, because, you know, you had a lot of this happening. In the, again, if you set the stage, you had Batman getting his back broken and being replaced by a darker, grittier, you know, Batman who will kill. You had Superman dying and being replaced by, you know, four other pretenders. And the only reason they even killed Superman is because they were going to marry him off. They were told they couldn't because there was an upcoming TV show called Lois and Clark, The, the New Adventures of Superman. So, like, well, what are we going to do now? Let's kill him. Um, so it, it ushered into this dark period of DC where they were taking their icons and they were either, you know, they were damaging them and replacing them or, you know, they're doing them. The Flash was really the only one to kind of escape this, so to speak. Uh, but but uh, Kyle, sorry, Kyle, Hal definitely got the worst of it because um, mm. he got run through the, through the ringer. And what has always bugged me about everything that happened um, with, uh, with, with Hal Jordan and the destruction of, of Coast City is that Coast City didn't even get destroyed in a Green Lantern book. Um, that if you were just following Green Lantern, you'd be like, whoa, wait, what? His entire city got destroyed? He thinks all of his friends are dead? Um, where did this happen? It happened in Superman 80 over there. Wait, what? Like, it was just a very strange decision. Or maybe not 80. I, I might be getting the number wrong. But, yeah, no, um, in and around it there. In, in and around there. It was there. an issue of Superman. Um, and I liked that issue, and I liked it as a kid. It was one of the only comics I had. Uh, but when you read it now, you're like, well, that's really strange. This money. Can you imagine Metropolis being destroyed in like Green Arrow? And you're like, whoa, Superman, you missed the destruction of Metropolis. That would never happen. Um, but that's what they did to, to, to Hal, right? Like they just blew up his city with no respect at all. Um, and then the character has to deal with it. And then they, 
you know, they end up destroying everything about how Jordan is a character. And it took years and years of fixing that character and, and trying to do something with him. And it didn't always work. Like, they brought him back as the Spectre. They're like, well, we can't bring him back as Green Lantern, but maybe we can make him the Spectre. And then that wasn't enough. And then eventually, you know, obviously then you have Jeff Johns stepping in and saying, nope, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make him awesome again. I'm going to make everyone love Hal. I'm not going to throw Kyle away, uh, which was a big thing that everyone was terrified about when Rebirth happened. They were like, oh, well, there goes Kyle. There's no way they're going to keep him around. Uh, and they did. Um, I mean, eventually he got pushed to the side a bit more. But at least at the beginning, he was right there with Hal, and he got respect. Um, sorry, I'm taking over a lot. but No, sorry. no, go ahead. I like I liked these uh, book clubs, book of the month clubs, because we go into like the history of what was actually happening just in the publishing of it all like there's also that side of the decision making and where things go go ahead what's interesting about kyle is that they give him a lot of things that hal never got to do because they they make the ring more powerful they take away the the weakness um the ring can't copy itself like they they bring new limitations and you know it it's something that they probably could have done with hal as well if they'd gone a different tactic obviously but they made kyle was the only green there was no others because they were all destroyed. All the rings were gone. Um, all the power, you know, was absorbed. There was no other Green Lanterns for years. So he was the Green Lantern. He wasn't one of, you know, 3,600. He was the one. And so they, now, there is something obviously special in the core when you use it properly. Um, but I guess the idea was, you know, we want to make him special. They want to make him unique and stand up, you know, apart. Also, uh, how, depending on which era, was a space cop. This was never something they did with Hal, with uh, Kyle. Kyle was a superhero, and there is a difference because Hal obviously did superheroic things, but more often than not, he was still working for the Guardians. He was still, you know, in some way working for a police force in some way, or Guy was, or John was. You know, they were always cops um, in some way. It didn't matter if they were centered on Oa or centered on Earth, which they were for a while as well, with, you know, I think baby Guardians or young Guardians at one point. All these things happened, but with Kyle... He was a superhero. He wasn't a cop. So he would go out and do adventures, but he wasn't reporting to a higher power. This did make a big difference. This changed how writers were able to write this character. Plus, let's be honest, he was Spider-Man. You know, he he was a youth. He was a young guy uh, making mistakes. You know, for a while he was on the, you know, before he was a member of the Justice League, he was on the Teen Titans. Uh, you know, he palled around with them for a while and was dating Donna Troy. Like, there's all sorts of stuff that this character got to do that I guess they felt that they couldn't have done that with Hal. Like, you know, you look at the stories that they did tell with Kyle, and I do feel that they were unique to that type of character that they could not have done with Hal. So it wasn't just a, let's throw in a new character and he'll get to do all the adventures. They did feel more molded to that type of character that Hal couldn't have done. So I do give them credit to that, that all these stories that we ended up getting with Kyle were very much you know, Kyle stories. And they weren't Hal stories with the stand-in, which is sometimes was the problem in the 70s and 80s when you had Guy, when you had John, he didn't always have enough of a, of a personality, which is not a surprise. DC in the 60s, 70s, and mid-80s was not what we would get later from DC when they really were able to delve more into personalities with their characters. There was a little bit more of a cookie-cutter aspect to them prior to that. So suddenly, it's and that's what we talked about last time with, uh, with Wally, Wally got to have real characterization of the Flash that Barry never really got to have because he died before characters really started to get multi-layered characterization. Especially really in DC. Yeah, well, yeah, DC more than anything. Yeah, yeah Marvel Marvel was establishing that already with their characters. DC was, was a little bit more... I think Batman, characters like Batman had that 
a little bit more consistently where you can go back and read those and they still can hold up or you can mm-hmm. appreciate them for when they were written but the other stuff mm, it's hard it's, it's hard to hard. find yeah it's hard to find stuff that i can sink my teeth into and be like this is good stuff i want the next 12 issues of this not mm-hmm. so much um yeah i mean <sighs> As far as reading this, it's a really fast and exciting and action-packed read. That's so. When I say that it's so '90s, what I mean is that it's it's very much about the action that you're getting. You're gonna get some good, you know, punch them out, knock them down, drag them <laughs> out, fist fights in this. Okay. Right. Yeah, but there's so much characterization too. Like, think about if you read some of these early pile issues. There's a lot of just talking. And characterization and him talking with Alex and, and even some of the stuff with him fighting major force, like, you know, yes, there's some slobber knocker, you know, you know, punching each other around, but there's also just a lot of talking and, and, and menace. And I feel like that's not as, I mean, and maybe I'm thinking more Marvel nineties than DC nineties because Marvel nineties was all about big art, really exciting art and the storytelling sometimes took us a backseat. And I think I never... that's the difference is that I was a DC kid. So I remember certain eras like this is the 90s to me because these okay. were the comics. I didn't read a lot of Green Lantern, but I remember a lot of these images. And when I go back and read like Superman stuff from there, I'm like, there's a 90s DC feel that is different from the. And they're trying to out 90s each other in these weird ways that it's just like they're kind of interesting. You know what I mean? The, the, the way that I think of the 90s, I would always say that Marvel out 90s everyone. Well, maybe except for Image. And the reason why I say that is because when I look at the art in Marvel books versus DC books in the same period, I'm like, it looks like Marvel books are so much more modern. Like, you look at, they pick up an amazing Spider-Man epic, and you look at Todd McFarlane in, like, 1991, and you compare that to what they were doing. I like Daryl Banks' stuff in, like, 94, 95, but it's not the same. No. There's, it's not the same, you know, level of bombast and, you know, there's just something about the, the hyper detailed art as well. Never really permeated DC either. Like if you and again, if you look at you know Superman during the you know the four Superman era, uh, where you had Dan Jorgens on one, you know that one was going to be great. You had Tom Grumman on another, that was pretty good. But then, and no offense, because he's just not my cup of tea. But Bogdanov, Bogdanov is not, you know, to me a great looking '90s artist. He's just not. And I would say Marvel is the same with. Larry Stroman on X Factor, not my cup of tea. A little bit weird and funky, but like not not really my art style. And so when you had something like that, it was like, well, this you're purely in the '90s DC because you have Bogdanov. It just doesn't have the same visual finesse that like a Jurgens. Like if I look at Jurgens, I'm just like I'm blown away. I can't. I want to read his book every day. And then you get uh, if you're reading Superman books, you get you know one Jurgens, and then you get this Bogdanov, and you're like, oh man, maybe this was a bad idea. Maybe maybe I shouldn't buy all these Superman books. And then you get like a grummet and you're like, okay, I'm back in, um, you know, or you get like a geist and you're like, yeah, like there's, but there was always like one or two that were not as great. Uh, my apologies to those artists because they did their, their best and just, they're not to my taste. And for some people, they absolutely love their artwork and what they can do. And it just wasn't for me. Yeah. No. And, and that's the thing, right? Is that when I, I see Marvel in the nineties, I'm like, I can definitely see the pattern they followed with you know following up with jim lee and tom mcfarlane like i saw where they went and then on the flip side you never had that really like liefeld never left that imprint in dc books the way he did at marvel mm. for it to be mimicked but you did get dan jurgens you did have like certain looks 
that mm-hmm. was DC 90s. Like, there's this way that Eminem drew in the 90s that was a little bit different. Um, yeah, like you said, Tom Grummet to me is DC in the 90s. That's what my superheroes look like. Because I didn't cross the other street that much. I just couldn't. You could pick one thing, right? Mm-hmm. You had enough money to pick maybe two comics. So it was always something DC. But when I'm reading this, I'm like, this was their equivalent to that bombast. Like those those fights with Hal Jordan, where he's just going through the core, I mean they're good, but they're quick. Like he makes quick work. This if this was a modern day comic, oh man, this would be drug out for two years. Oh, 100 percent. But I I think there's something about the economy there that makes it more enjoyable, right? Because you know, and, and I think it, it does help. I mean, you're watching the assassination of a character, and let's never pretend it's anything but that. They did their best to, to, to gussy it up, and it looks nice, and it reads well. But it is them destroying a character that's beloved. So let's just be honest with that. But I think if you made it any longer, I think having to sit with too much, too many pages of how beating the crap out of other Lanterns would not sit well with anyone. Like, it was already uncomfortable for people to see their hero, their favorite. Like, they're picking up a Green Lantern comic. They're picking <sighs> it up because they love Hal. And now you take their hero. Like, can you imagine picking up a Spider-Man comic? And him going bad and just like beating up everyone and killing them? Like, no, you couldn't, you, you would stop reading Spider Man. Or you'd be like, well, this isn't Elseworlds. I'm never going to read this. Like, that's, it's an antithetical. You would just never do that. And so the fact that they did this does take balls because this is someone's favorite character and you just threw it away. And listen, if you haven't read these, like, spoilers, he goes full Anakin Skywalker before, yeah. before we even had that movie. So this oh, is, sure. this is like if there 10 had been years. children, he would have killed them too. Yeah, pretty much. He goes full out, and it's tough to swallow. Like it's hard to believe, but it happens, and it gets to a point where like, oh, there's no turning back. Like he's gotten to that point. We there's no redemption. They they put him to the point of no redemption, and it mm-hmm. sucks because even if you're like, as a kid, you're thinking, oh, I, I, you. Man. Only Jeff Johns could figure out some weird way that you forget. But it's very comics, right? Like, he yeah. killed people, so that'd be like, well, he was possessed. Like, it's okay, you know. <laughs> Someone possessed him, gave him gray hair, he went crazy. Like, you know, it's It's very right. comics, worry. but it, it's almost like, okay, if you say so. Like, we have to, we, well, we play that game says, with it. It says something about comic book fans that we will buy into something if we want to. Right. And we won't if we don't. And so right. people wanted Hal to be redeemed. So we read Rebirth and we're like, yep, but give me another heaping helping of this. Like, I, <laughs> you know, like I remember reading Rebirth when it, when it, Green Lantern Rebirth when it was happening in singles. And you get to that moment um, at the end of, I think, issue four or five. And um, it's right when Sinestra is about to kill uh, Kyle and Oliver. And, and you have the, the ring that I think that uh, Oliver tried to use, you know, it, it lifts off and it, it flies away. And you have the narration saying that, like, he feels something as the ring goes on his finger and, and Hal starts to feel like himself again. And he feels, you know, a whole lot of damn will. And he gets up and you're like, that was a fist bump moment. That was like, he's back. You know, like everything else is, is forgotten. That wasn't him. It never was him. Jeff Johns has fixed this character. Hal is cool again. And that moment like, will always be one of my favorite moments in comics because it, it made me feel something. It made me feel like this was a momentous thing that I was witnessing and I was seeing the resurrection of a character that people loved, um, which is not often you can say that. So as much as, again, we can look at it now in a very different light because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
10 years later, Hal gets redeemed. Hmm. But that was a really bumpy 10 years if you were a fan. Um, now, for issue 48 is fascinating because as we talked about what 90s books feels like, there's like no action in this book. It's purely a man descending into madness and despair and using his power ring to make constructs of people in his life and try to talk through grief. This is tr- tremendous. It's, like it's, it's not good. a book this that is I good, would This is a good this, issue. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is like, you know, 20 years later, now whenever you see a comic that explores grief and understanding, we all love it. But no one talked about this at the time. People were f- focusing on 49 and 50, you know, all the, the slugfest and the, and the kill zone. That's all they're looking at. But you read this issue, and it's just about this guy who's lost everything, and he wasn't there. To, to, which So, again, that sadness and the weirdness of him not being there for Coast City, not even being destroyed in his own book, in some way ends up being part of what makes it harder for him. If he had been there and he failed to protect it, that'd be one thing. But he wasn't even there at all. It just happened when he was gone. It was, you know, he, he had abandoned them, I don't know, for five minutes. And, like, who knows how long he wasn't there. And then his entire city gets destroyed. Um, and then him trying to walk through that grief with constructs that are talking to him, that's incredibly impactful. Um, you know, and, and, really, and, and again, they need that issue so that at least you can kind of squint and buy in to the madness that follows. You have to believe that this is a man pushed to the edge and he's just lost it because he's lost everyone and he believes it's his fault, and he thinks that he can fix it. And that's really the thing here, right? He doesn't just go kill and killing people for no reason. He's killing people that are in his way. He's not going out of his way to kill people per se. He's he's got his he, you know he has to go to point A, or sorry, point B. I'm in point A. I'm going to go there. If you get get in the middle of that straight line, I will dispatch you. I will maybe not kill you. I'll take your ring and leave you enough to survive briefly, um, unless you're Kilowag or Sinestro. Um, but you know, I, I'm gonna and I'm gonna go and try and bring my city back. So it does give him a thorough line. So he's not a straight out. <laughs> yeah, he's a villain, but he's not a straight villain because at least he he has this thing that he wants. And it's really until he kills Kilowog and Sinestro that he's really gone too far because he has that dialogue before that. I get you know I didn't kill them. I left them enough to survive. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, which is weak sauce. He basically did. But, and, and again, Jeff Johns doesn't let this lie. He brings these characters back. Like, when you see some of these fight sequences, you recognize some of these characters because you're like, oh, man, Jeff Johns used these guys. Like, he didn't just use random characters no. that he retconned. He used actual characters that yeah. we saw on panel get brutalized by Hal as characters that eventually are, you know, part of the core with Hal in the future. So yeah. I'm taking over. Please go ahead. No, I was just thinking, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ron Mars is a... Um his um, in a way his mentor was jim starlin yes he kind of like passed he kind of like led him into the silver surfer like you know pushed his way not not pushed him in but like gave him a little push as he began his career and i feel like this this in a way is the thanos quest for hal jordan Mm. like this is how it happens this is where it all goes down where he becomes this villain here's why this is what mm. drove him to madness. This is what his motivation was. And now you know. Yeah. And and, I mean, and in those three issues, you, you get the whole backstory of how this guy turns into that. What I find, well, for a couple things. First of all, I'm going to ask you, which Green Lantern logo do you prefer? Do you prefer the Hal one from the first three issues we read or the one after uh, Kyle takes over? So tough because... As a kid, not even knowing much, 
I always like that they had the balls to do a new Green Lantern like that. I'm like, yeah, like he kind of he was kind of dressed like a wrestler, like a '90s Mexican wrestler, <laughs> right? It was just he had this. I don't know. It was just different, but you knew it was him. And there's no one to compare him to. There's no confusion anymore no. about it. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that logo for the clarity that it gave you. But mm. deep down, it's always the traditional Green Lantern logo. Yeah. Yeah. You? Ah. Uh, well, I, I think well personally when I say the logo, I partly meant like the the, the font, the, the typeface on the book. Um, oh. Like, you know what? Mine didn't come with covers. Oh, it doesn't there's no covers there? There's no covers on it. Sorry. That's okay. The, I like a, I like a trade the, dress, and there's like a difference to it. Yeah. So this is the trade dress. Okay, so that the way that the Green Lantern um, at the top is kind of burning, the green is like that. Just the word green has the kind of flames at the top of it, which is a weird, like, why? <laughs> yeah. Why? Not sure either. But when, when they changed the font of, like, yeah. the, I preferred the Kyle, Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner, okay. So you, did you get any covers in there? Oh, there's no cover images. No cover images in this. Oh, my God. So it, you're missing, like, so I was going to ask you, because there's, like, some really iconic covers. Yeah. I was going to ask which was your favorite of the iconic covers, and you don't know what they are. I don't. I mean... If, if you threw them up on a screen, I'd be like, yeah, yo, yeah, I remember that one, definitely. Is there one, is that the one? No. The cover so, with uh, him and all the rings, that was during the... Uh, no, no, that's here. That's 49. That's the one. So one of them, I'm going to try and show you. Yeah. This isn't going to work very well. Yeah, I see it. I see it. So that's the issue. That's number 48. So that's, you know, how... Great you know, issue. Set, well, great issue. And I, one of my favorite covers, I just think there's really something... Um, sad and poetic about that one. Um, then you have the one you mentioned, which is uh, 49, which is where probably one of the more classic or more iconic ones with a, an absolutely crazy looking Hal Jordan uh, showing a lot of rings, a, a cover that's been often duplicated. Yeah. Um, in, in, Brilliant like, I think cover. In, in, in Blackest Night, I think you had him with all the different colors or whatever. Yeah. Like there's been a lot of different versions. Um, and then we have issue 50, which is kind of interesting that they even went this way. Um, because you read that issue and like the big reveal is Parallax, right? But it's spoiled on the cover. Um, I mean, not fully. You see part of him. I'm just trying to pull that up to show you um, this cover, issue 50, which is again pretty iconic. Yeah, I still like the all the rings. You like all the rings? I think I would go with 48. I like the sadness. I just like that. You know, that one's good in the sky. too. Um, no, the, the, I would say the Kyle ones are, are enjoyable, but they're not iconic. They're they're fun. Yeah. Um, but like yeah, you said, very superhero-like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, for sure, yeah. Very different. I remember having the action figure of Green Lantern, and I always liked the concept of the power. But I remember the few times that there were Green Lantern comics around that someone had given to me or that I found in a pile. It was the, um, I think it was the Englehart era of the Green Lantern okay. Corps. And I don't know if that was post-crisis or when it was, but it was definitely before Emerald Dawn. And it was just confusing because it's like, how many Green Lanterns are there? Like, what? <laughs> well, don't worry. Now there's only one. Right. Exactly. <laughs> at, least, at least at this period. Yeah. And it always, but it broke my heart that the one that you always, the one you always associate Green Lantern with, like, I don't care what anybody says, Green Lantern's Hal Jordan. Yes. It is. It's just how it goes. In your mind's eye, that's who comes to your head and would like love him or hate him. But uh, it was sad that he helped Superman 
in that really cool story that brings him back. He's right there. It's like, yeah. man, it was Green Lantern who helped Superman come back. Broke his arm. He lost his city. Oh, man, this is so big for the character. And then he just goes, like, evil beyond. He goes, Thanos level. It's interesting, too, because, I mean... I mean, I think it would be obviously be everything would be different if they did it today in terms of length and, and breadth and, and et cetera. But it's interesting as well because, you know, he goes crazy in his own book. No one else knows about it. He's literally in space. Like, it's just so isolating. And I guess that's obviously what the industry was like at the time for certain characters. You know, he wasn't Superman. He wasn't Batman. So everyone, and again, everyone, like Superman dies, he gets a funeral. He gets, you know, he gets everything. You know, Batman, you know, Bruce Wayne still gets a comic when he's, you know, in just when he's hurt, he's, you know, doing the, the quest or whatever, or whatever that that was uh, during Night's Quest. Um, but, you know, Hal dies. And again, he dies the center. And uh, the, Mar- the DC Universe took a long time to accept him coming back. I mean, fans wanted it, but uh, whenever you'd have him come back, you'd have a lot of people had problems with that because he'd done villainous things. And how do you fix a hero when you, you know, made him go bad? And he's probably one of the most notable heroes that went bad besides the dark phoenix and then even then classic combo trope she was you know she was um influenced by something or not it wasn't even her at all it was right. the phoenix force as her because you have to exonerate her to create her heroic path um which happens with with hal um one thing i do want to say about uh, just reading the kyle raider issues so we read issues what 155 uh, 51 and 55 um very fun straightforward um, superhero stuff and what I liked about it is that he had a love interest and who knew who he was there was no shenanigans about you know about the secret identity uh, he was just Green Lantern and she knew about it and he was trying to figure out how to capitalize and what to do about it and it felt again very Spider-Man-ish in that way and he had kind of learned his own great power great responsibility lesson when Alex dies and that's still a horrific and upsetting moment and very shocking because you have a brand new character he has a love interest you don't expect her to die right away um, and to major force, who's this guy? You know, and but like for it's years, so nineties. Like, Come on, what the major force? Major force, and the whole like the whole terminology of fridging comes from this moment. Like it's, it's not all hits in this book. Like there's a lot of stuff that are missteps. Like that issue is so forced. No really pun intended. Think it's forced? But like I don't even know what his adventure was that pulls him away from from being there. Like you don't even know. Like it, it's. It's so nondescript of an issue. Like I just finished reading it, I and I know what point, major though. force. I know what major force. It, he's been hired to. Clearly, they're trying to put together who this guy is, and I guess mm. that leads to the. No, that's not heat. I'm the heat. Were real people that wanted Hal Jordan yes. back. This this is a a different thing because I got I've never read past this when it came to Cal, Kyle Rayner. I'd like to, I just don't know how it all holds up, but I'd like to. So the, the whole, as you said, kind of issue with, you know, Major Force, first of all, it's harrowing. Everything with Major Force and Alex is scary. And at the time, if you were reading this in, you know, 94 or whatever it was, and you were reading this, you see Alex, you know, is at home, and then this guy shows up and he's fighting her. Like, this is actually scary. Like, this is legitimately, like, you fear for this character. And then it, it goes very bad. And, like, when he's kind of choking her out, and, like, I, I was like, well you almost don't think it's going to go this way and but it does and it's horrific and it's upsetting and obviously it created a whole terminology for what is what what the act of this is when you kill off a female love interest just to 
you know, do something with the uh, with the male protagonist. And I'm glad that people are more aware of this type of thing now. We see less of it. Or if it does happen, people are calling it out because it's kind of a storytelling crutch. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's upsetting. It creates a trope, um, or at least puts a name to a trope, um, which, I mean, it, it kind of needed to. I mean, if someone was eventually going to, you know, find out a terminology for what they're doing here. And this is obviously an upsetting one. Um, but that's just the way it is. And I don't know, I, I, none of that bothered me. I just, I just thought it was, it still held up as a scary issue. Like, yeah, you... I think, I think for me, I don't look at this and, and like, I get why if you do this again and again, it's like, really? It's, I, I even kind of feel that way when I read a, a Kevin Smith comic, it's always some sort of rape awareness story. It always goes to that kind of like Frank Miller uses it as a trope where, it's useful, but you always go to this. So if people always go back to something, it's like, okay, that's enough now. But in this case, I don't... This is the one. It's like you... This is the one that broke Gail Simone's back. Yes. Right. That's that's the thing. But I don't... When I don't... I don't think of other characters that come to mind like this. I know Gwen Stacy dies. I know that it... it ha- but this happens so sudden. Like, you don't even get a chance to, like, feel for what? Alex. Well, I think that's probably what makes it worse, though, because like she was never, she like she she never had a, t- a time to really take off as a character. Like, oops, sorry. You know, she was literally just here to die and and, and, and move and move Kyle forward. And and I think I, that's the problem. I think that's what makes this also feel very '90s in the sense that we got to get this new character ball rolling and people to be invested as fast as possible because the attention span is so mm. quick. Whereas prior to like the characters before you had built up like when mary jane comes back into a spider-man book you're like hey we haven't seen you for a while how you been Mm -hmm. but in in the 90s it's like we're taking this guy off the board we got to make people invested in this and it was almost like an indie comic in a way Mm with the way they were kind of publishing independent comic like here's a six issue story you got a whole story if you like it we'll make more and I felt like they were treating this in a way where it's like, let's get Superman shows up, sprinkle a little Superman dust. Superman mm-hmm. gives him the thumbs up, make him fight him. You know what I mean? You know, it's interesting because I, I, I do feel very differently about it. Like even the Superman appearance, I felt like it was it was wrapping up the loose end of Mongol. Like Mongol had a part to play in the last, you know, heroic Hal Jordan story, like the, one of the you know one of the last ones, like just a couple months before he went crazy. So and there is something to you know, the symbolism of, you know, how beat Mongol after he destroyed his city. And now, but he's, you know, let, let's, let's finally like, kind of put him off the map for a while. Let's have, you know, the new, you know, the new Kyle, sorry, the new Green Lantern team up with Superman, which is again, the passing of the torch. Like, I don't know. That type of stuff did feel more natural to me. It didn't feel as, as Forrest says, well, we got to have him meet the, the old heroes and he has to, you know, have all those awkward interactions. Oh, don't get me wrong. I liked it. I'm, I'm, on, I'm only stating the obvious. Like, for, okay. for me, it's like Superman's here. Like, this guy's legit. It's a okay. smart move, right? It, it, it's not a criticism. And that's I actually what I, really liked Kyle, uh, Kyle meeting Alan. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, that um, was a great moment too. Although, we, I mean, it, it's one of those moments that I really enjoyed, but I have to also admit, it is an info dump, right? Like, it's like, totally. how is Kyle ever going to find out about the, the Green Lantern Corps? Who's going to teach him about this? So, totally. You know, it's kind of weird that it's even Alan. Like, it has to be in some ways because, you know, he was the only other active person that was kind of a lantern. Or the, wasn't he Sentinel at this time? But, 
at least, you know, he was a Green Lantern kind of, and he could at least tell him some stories. Um, because otherwise, who else would it be? I guess Gar- Guy Gardner was Warrior at this time with the crazy, you know, uh, alien tats and morphing arms and whatever. Like, there was a lot of weird stuff happening. You want to read a 90s book, you read Zero Hour. Um, <laughs> everything yeah. about it is that's just true. Back to crazy. I've read, the, I have the trade, I've read the trade. I no, never... You gotta read all of it. You gotta read every tie in, every weird thing that happened. And then you gotta read Booster Gold with Zero that was published in 2004 just for fun. Did you read the whole thing? Do you have the omnibus? I don't have the omnibus. I have read all, all the issues at some point in the past, yes. Wow. I used to like those issues when I was a kid because they were like these what if stories, but really happening to the character. Oh, yeah. There's ones with the, you know, like random um, versions of Batman all showing up. Yeah. And, like one issue, and you're like, what is happening? Yeah. And, but it's and exciting. Where, where there was a young Dick Grayson as Robin yes. with uh, Tim Drake. And they were, you know, sharing sharing experiences. One who hadn't lived it yet. Well, where's what Earth is this one from? Like it was for me as a kid. I just like picking those issues up and seeing how they were messing around with with stuff. Well, don't worry, you can find them for like a dollar each. Yeah, I know, and you can also have <laughs> that. I was always wanting, like, would I want that omnibus? Because I don't even like. I don't think I even really like the miniseries. Doesn't make sense, but I like Dan Jurgen, so I. I I always wanted it just to have it because, you know, when I first started with omnibuses, I was all about events and having an entire event in one. Makes sense. So I was very attractive. Um, But for whatever reason, it was just overpriced all the time. So I could never pull the trigger on it. Um, But I I definitely did and do want it. In fact, I I think that is not the one that we ordered that for the Amazon order that we'll never get. um, That was DC uh, 1 million. DC 1 million. That was DC 1 million. A similar type of story, though, in terms of wanting all the the tie-ins in one spot. Yeah, what's going to happen with that thing that we put in a pre-order for? It's never coming up. It's like the Guardians of the Galaxy that's there for 20 bucks. I mean, that will probably not come out either. Yeah, they now, Zero Hour is interesting because they did start publishing like a bunch of, um, of trade paperbacks. They had like Batman Zero Hour with a bunch of those issues. There was a Superman Zero Hour. I got they that. A, they had announced a Justice League one, and then they, you know, because it's DC, they canceled it. And so now, if you look at Amazon, it says it's coming out in 2080. So if you're still around <laughs> in the, you know in, in 58 years, tell me if tell me if it comes out. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Jeez. Well, I, I I do lament and wish I had the zero hour omnibus because there's just something about it, um, even more so than the DC one million. And because looking at it, it's just that feels more 90s to me than DC one million. They're both in the 90s, but one of them just feels more unapologetically 90s, whereas Oh um, yeah, DC One Million is a bit more of a mess '90s. Oh yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a even within that decade, you you have. I think it's split in threes. Yeah. Yeah, I think you got like three sections of the, and it's you feel it in the music, you see it in the television, you see it in even mm-hmm. in the comics. Like it just there's this weird revolution of of something that happens, and then everything completely changes after 9/11, but. Mm-hmm. Talking about Green Lantern, not not, not Marvel in, in 2001. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the 90s part of it is what can be criticized, but also what I like. Because this is a, a snapshot of what storytelling was like then. This was the type of stuff you did. This is what the art looked like. Um, you're introducing this new character that is a legacy character has been around for quite a while. Unceremoniously, you take him off the playing board. Like, it's horrible. 
But now you're making us fall in love with this kid really quick, and we're our hearts are breaking. It's all for me. When I read Invincible, he kind of reminded me a lot of Kyle Rayner. I can see that. I mean, I mean, Invincible himself was you know, Spider-Man, but modern. Like in right. a lot of ways. Like there's just something about the young hero trying to figure out some power he doesn't understand. I mean, before exactly. we had Kyle Rayner, we had you know Richard Rider as Nova in the '70s, and he was the Spider-Man of the '70s in a lot of ways. So I mean, there's just something about the young hero making mistakes, which is really exciting, especially to younger readers. Um, and again, also a, a new direction. Like you didn't need to know all about how to follow. A, a, it's actually fascinating to me that it wasn't Green Lantern number one. Like it wasn't a relaunch. To number That's one. true. That's true. Like, like if that was now, hundred percent issue number one. Like there would just totally. be no question. And, and but it was the nineties, so relaunches still happened. Although I guess that was more of a Marvel thing maybe than a DC thing. And they still kept the legacy numbering, but they were only 50 issues deep. So it's not like they couldn't have, you know, just cut the cord and said, okay, this new volume is going to start, but you have it on the stands next to, you know, adventure comics and action comics and detective comics and all these, you know, comics apparently, (laughs) but Hmm. all, you know, super big numbers. And so I guess they just didn't want to go back to a number one or who knows. It just seems like such an odd and obvious choice. Um, to make a clean break with this new character, but at least it was issue fifty-one, so it was, true. You know, there was a one in the in the number. Yeah, there there is that turning point. It is true. It was a good time to do it. If you were going to do it, do it now, and see how it goes. And and I think there there's a lot of people who, like you said, when they were bringing Hal Jordan back, they're like, yeah, but don't take away Kyle. Like we like him. He yeah. has. There's a lot of people who preferred him as Green Lantern at that point. It's like, why did you? Why would you do that? But they never learned that lesson for for Flash. You know, they bring back Barry, and it felt like immediately Wally was just off to the side. It didn't matter. Like, he just was not given the same love. Um, and part of it was that we got Kyle got to be around because you had two Green Lantern books. Like, yeah. you had a core book, and you got to have a rotating cast, and sometimes Kyle was there. And Kyle was, you know, with headline books. He would be in New Guardians or whatever during the New Guardians. had Ion. Yeah, he, he got to be, well... Uh, multiple versions of ion uh, but yeah like you know he's been around um so it's too bad um i do like that you know there's some great uh kyle, uh, kyle rayner stuff they're starting to reprint more of it but it's a little bit more later in the run the judd winnick stuff is uh being reprinted so uh if you do like you know reading that version of the character um there's a lot to start enjoying yeah i was tempted to get into the um those trays that they were reprinting about just they were Kyle Rayner trades and I'm like is that do I want a set of those like I got I'd prefer probably to have the flash over that just out of the material the strength of it right well I mean they, they stopped the Kyles right they yeah. had a couple and then they just put them on indefinite hiatus which is what they do um, they put um, out Circle of Fire which is uh, I'm trying to think when they put it out they put it out in 2021 um, and that collects Green Lantern let's see here this is in scintillating reading uh, sorry, listening. Um, this is Green Lantern 129 to 136. Um, so, again, much later in the run. Um, and then they did have Green Lantern, The Power of Ion, but it may have been canceled. Because uh, I think now it shows up as, yeah, coming out in 2079. But it was supposed to come out a lot earlier. Um, and that was supposed to collect, you know, 137 to 150. And that's some really good stuff, too, when you have the first version of Ion. Um, did you ever see Kyle as Ion back in those days? Mm. No, I don't think like I pre, did. Pre, pre Jeff Jones. No, I see. Did Ion not. was already a thing. Like they'd already done something with Ion, um, which I loved. I loved those issues. In fact, 
Um, he had they changed his costume around issue 150. Probably my favorite version of the Kyle Rayner costume. I actually do not like the the costume that everyone loves. Um, the classic kind of issue 51, the first you know, or not 51 exactly, but you know the Kyle Green Lantern costume with the crab mask. Not my favorite. Um, it's like so the, 90s. It's so uh, 90s, dude. Uh, you can you keep saying that. <laughs> it is though. Like that's so DC in the 90s. I guess they put crabs on masks. Well, it's got, but he's got that that armor on his wrist. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm like, it's just the nostalgia of it for me. Like I like it, but I also mm-hmm. realize, like, man, the costume they give him later is way better. No, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff though. I mean, he does have a team up with a younger version of Hal Jordan around issue 100. Um, so cool. I think there's like four, six issues where you just have Hal and Kyle, a younger Hal and Kyle, hanging out and having adventures, which is a lot of fun. Um, so again, like they, you know, they tried a lot of things with Kyle. He had a lot of great, you know, um, supporting characters. He had relationships with Donna Troy. Jade was obviously probably the biggest one. Um, you know, eventually he got uh, a copy of the the Hal Jordan from the past ring that could copy itself. So I think he gave it to Jade so she could start repopulating. You know, the um, the Green Lantern Corps while he was in space for a while. So there's a lot of you know really fun, cool stuff that happens to Kyle Rayner. I'm trying to find out when he got um, what I would say his, his, his better, cooler costume, um, which you would disagree with. Um, no, which... I don't disagree. I think his costume later on was better. I just, yeah. it's the nostalgia, I say. Okay. Yeah, this is this is the one I really like from issue 151. It's different. Yeah, it's got better. a different uh, symbol on, on his chest, but that was that was always the one when I started playing Hero Clicks. That was the, the version that we got in that game as well, and so I just really like that version of the character. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, when I saw, I, I, there was very few pictures that I saw as a kid of Kyle Rayner in the original suit, but I liked really? it. I liked him in the original suit. It's fine. It's just not. It's not nearly as good as others. It's not. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the one he makes for himself. I'm just saying the traditional Green Lantern oh. suit. I'm like, that was cool. I I knew it was a different guy, just in the hair color. I didn't need a a brand, but I figured like that's just what they do now. Superman mm-hmm. has to have long hair. They put Batman in armor when he was Jean-Paul Valley. Like that's just what they're doing these days, right? Yeah. So, so now speaking of Major Force, yeah. Um, if you ever get to the very end of Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern run before a rebirth, um, there is a very impactful final battle uh, with Major Force because I think now I can't remember. So I think, and, and you won't like this, <laughs> given what he did to to Alex. I believe. There's a fake out that you think that he killed his mom and put him in the stove, but I think it was it was a fake out. But if you read the issues, they're really they are really well written. They're very taut, uh, suspenseful, and the artwork is absolutely amazing because it's by um, Luke Ross and it's just so filled with power and excitement. So I, I you know if you ever get DC Infinite on the app, um, it's really worth reading. In fact, the last issue is by Luciano Cueros, who I don't actually know from anything else. Um, but he he makes that last issue of Green Lantern sing in an amazing way. Like if that was the last time you ever saw Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern, you'd be like, "That's okay." He went out on top. He was awesome. That's cool. Yeah, I have a soft spot for for Kyle Rayner and Wally West. I do. I like. I like. They're, they're they the, were the kids. They were the yeah. young ones who yeah. got to take up the mantle, right? Like we're you know we're kids reading Justice League comics, and you get to see you know these were the kids. They were clowning around and having adventures. You know, you, there's just something about Kyle and, and Wally together were fascinating. 
um, because they were again they were the youth, and then you had Connor Hawk added in as well. So you had these you know these young bucks. Um, you know, I have to see. You know, they're sitting at the same table as Superman and Batman. Uh, so a very interesting period. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, this is fun being able to go kind of back and forth with, uh, you know, the, what they call it, Brave and the Bold, right? Because mm-hmm. Wally and Wally and Kyle had that same sort of relationship kinship that Barry and Hal have. For sure. So it was kind of it's cool to be able to do that um, hopping back and forth. What do we do next? Oh, I, well, I feel like it has to be Marvel now. I think we've, you know, we've done a couple of DC in a row. It's time to go back to Marvel. Where in Marvel? Um, I feel like we need to pick a decade before we pick a character. Okay. Should we do a, a book outside of Marvel and DC and then go back to the big two? The only problem with that is I don't know if you and I have a lot of cross-section in terms of what we've collected outside of the big two. Okay. Maybe we should... Maybe we should uh... We'll talk about that after the show's done recording. Cause <laughs> Sounds that like an be... intervention. Like, we really need to talk about yeah. life beyond the big two, guys. There are comics that aren't Marvel and DC. What? <laughs> um, and by that, really, you just mean amalgam comics, right? Right, like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what you mean. I think we have some crossover. I, I wouldn't be surprised, but we could try. Like, we could just both give something a chance. Give peace a chance, man. That's right. Or we could just go back to Marvel. I think for the next one, I'd like to do Marvel, and then I, I, okay. I'm ready to try something. Okay. You're gonna. I know what's gonna happen. You're gonna be like, "Hey, you gotta try this Valiant stuff," and I'm gonna be like, "I don't know, man." And then you're gonna be like, "Ah, here you go." And then a few months later, I own all the Valiant stuff. I'm like, "What happened?" The good thing is about that, a lot of it is out of print, so it would probably just be digital if you did go that route. So, okay. I, but I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't make you get into buying stuff that you don't have. That was kind of the deal. Right, let's okay. try to or keep suddenly it I with... just end up with the, all this out of print stuff I have to buy. I'm like, oh man, hope I have a thousand dollars. Yeah, that, I'm, that's what's happening with Dave right now. I keep talking to him about Valiant, and he's like, I want this stuff, dude, but they, it's all out of print. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'll shut up. Yeah. Um, a book that I recommend you read at some point, but is not in any way meant to be a book of the month, but um, but I do recommend you read if you've never read it. Um, is uh, Spider Man Loves Mary Jane. Um, that is. One of the most delightful books you will ever read. Okay. Have you ever heard of it? Yes. Okay. It's uh, really good. I actually literally just did a deep dive on it yesterday with the creator, um, just talking about what it was like to do this book. And um, it is, you know, basically a, a rom-com uh, in comics. It's kind of free from continuity, so to speak, um, which might drive drive you a little bit crazy at first. Um, it's but The artwork is by, uh, I cannot pronounce his name, but by uh, Takeshi... Miyazawa um, that, that was my attempt at it, it was actually Canadian um, he, his artwork is extremely expressive and uh, very youthful and they were going for kind of obviously a, kind of a manga, manga-ish style at the time in the mid 90s, um, I cannot recommend it enough, it's available in three beautiful trades that are only $17 each um, and that collects about 30 issues worth or something like that so um, it's, yeah it's, it's a really tremendous run um, anyone out there who's never read it, you really should pick it up and give it a shot. And it's on Marvel Unlimited, I believe. Um, another book you should you should read, and again, I just did a deep dive on all this stuff yesterday with the creator, is a, a little-known book called Gravity um, by Sean McKeever and Mike Norton uh, from the mid sorry, mid-2000s. And again, it's all about very actually apropos of today's conversation. It's very much a, a, a young youth in the Spider-Man mold uh, moves to New York City 
um, you know, he has to get his powers and he becomes a superhero. And it's all about him trying to be a superhero and kind of screwing up a, a, a bunch along the way. Sean McKeever, episode Sean McKeever. episode oh. 292. I mean, there's not an episode yet because it hasn't come oh, out sorry. yet. Episode... It's going to be 290, sorry, 994 or 996. It hasn't gone up yet. Okay. We're episode 292, but I know you're in the 90s as well, so that's where I got confused. Okay. Yes, I'm in, I've had 992 so far. That's crazy. I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll reach there, but I'll try. I'll keep going. I'm almost at 300. Hey. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. I was there seven years ago. Ah, uh, shut up. <laughs> All right. I also did 100 episodes a year. I do not recommend that to anyone. No, no. I, I don't know how you did that. But, I mean, you you were, you were did economize your time well. You did a lot of those good review, 15-minute sort of episodes. I, I should do a, maybe more of those. Some people have told me, and I don't know why but they're like you should try you know just going off the top of your head saying what you want but i just don't well, know because you used to do that and i that did was, that was, that i did that because of, of you i did that honestly i took that from you i'll give you credit i mean i always enjoyed those because they felt again spur of the moment but you were passionate about something and you just kind of let that passion dictate where you were going to go with the conversation and that i don't know to me that always felt like the most organic enjoyable thing like i don't like scripted podcasts or podcasts mm-hmm. that feel scripted or feel like there's two tight and like kind of a guideline of what they want to hit i want it to be an organic conversation that's what i like about you and dave talking about things because it, it, it just feels like it's just two guys having a chat about comics going here and there you might have some ideas about some things you might want to steer towards but it's a very light steer it's not like an oh you know oh we got to do this we got to hit this before you know the 15 minute mark or whatever the case might be so uh, i've always appreciated that so you having passion about something and just driving to work and being like, in another thing, I want to, you know, <laughs> this is how I feel about this, about comics. Like, I, I kind of dig that. You know, that was enjoyable. That being said, you were never angry. You were most of the time just, you know, t- saying how much you love something and who can't respond to that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. A lot of these, late lately when I drive to work, I'm doing a lot of the angry man rant to myself because I'm like, you can't say this anywhere else, so just let it out by yourself. So I'm like, don't record any of this, but well, yeah. So maybe don't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? It it is nice though to be able to just have that sort of stream of uh, like you you do it really well. Even in this conversation, I'm like, look at him go. Like he's got a, a a train of thought, and he's taking us to where we need to hit these points to understand what happened during this time of publishing and the storytelling. It's good. Well, I, I like you. Know, you know me. I, I I love history. So I mean, like understanding how it works. Like I, um, one of my favorite uh, history books and comics is about the most niche uh, piece in, in comic book history imaginable, but extremely important, but very niche. Um, is the DC implosion, um, which I do you know about this? Yeah, that was something that happened in the like early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, something like yeah. that. It was very late eight, uh, sorry, late seventies, and it was this, you know, it was actually called the DC Explosion. Uh, I was it was marketed as such. They were going to have all these titles. They were increasing pay, uh, uh, how many pages, but also the price, and they were going to try and do this big thing. And then their parent company that recently acquired them, I think a year, a couple years earlier, basically cut the rug out from under them and said, "No, uh, you're you got to you got to cancel this." So they they suddenly had to fire tons of staff members, um, tons of freelancers went without work. 
uh, tons of books got pulped and never got and, or stories got put in drawers. Um, there was something called the Cancel Comics Cavalcade, where someone like Xeroxed a lot of those stories. And there was only like 50 of them that exist of a lot of these stories that never actually got to see print anywhere. Um, anyways, there's this fantastic book about this period called. Um, actually, now I forget the exact title, but it's all about the DC implosion by Keith Dallas. He's one of the, the co-writers. And I got to talk to him a year ago about it. And I was just like, it's the most niche thing. But again, as I said, it's so impactful because, you know, you had a lot of creators had no work and left at DC. They went to Marvel. So Marvel, suddenly there was like a line of freelancers at the door um, because everyone who was you know, supposed to get work at DC suddenly couldn't anymore because they had, you know, cut all these print runs and all these books went by the wayside. Uh, again, very important period, but it's so brief. And they did this amazing history where I don't even know how they found all these fanzines and, and journals at the time with articles. And they had you know all these quotes from all the principal players and kind of putting it out in, uh, in sequence. It's fascinating. Another uh, history book that you should definitely try is something called Stuff Said. Um, this is by uh, uh, John Morrow of Tomorrow's Publishing. And basically what he did is he took um, all of these interviews from uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby over the years referring to their partnership and put them in chronological order so you can see the evolution of how they interacted with each other in the fan press and what they were saying about their work together to try and figure out who did what and who did more of what and who was maybe coasting on the other person's you know coattails. Now, John Morrow makes no mistake of the fact that he is a Kirby man. Um, he is the obviously the one who publishes the Jack Kirby Collector. So, you know, there's he always kind of knew going in that he was going to favor the Kirby side. But it's a really interesting book because it's really just a story of these two men in their own words, um, using all their own interviews over the years um, to put context to this very interesting relationship that ultimately did not end well for either of them, but was very impactful and fruitful from a creative standpoint when they were at least kind of talking to each other. Yeah, and I mean... This is really geeky stuff for comic fans to like. They'll understand why this is important. But when you really think about it, and maybe this is too deep, but the way that the books and the stories that Stanley and Jack Kirby, that what their names are attached to, and what has become of those modern myths, just in our pop culture, they are going to be very historical figures. Mm. In what kind of defined a generation of people and what they went what they did for entertainment, what how they dressed up, like so many things became, become informed and even economically affected by it. So it's yep. not like they like they're just some you know all some guys who made comics. Like they really made it left their fingerprint. So yeah, listen reading an interview of something like that, it's just so cool or or a book that includes all those interviews. It's just so cool that we have something like that today when you think of mm. all of the people who've lived who have have really affected and you know made a change in society we don't have that much to nope. go by so this is it's cool that there's just a book like that it's 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 very in the weeds but i love those weeds um and actually if you buy it now like i have the first printing which uh, there's supplementary content that's been added in each version now so i think they're on their second division uh, sorry vision, uh, version or edition or maybe the third um anyways john morrow puts out great historical books everything from two morrows as uh, if you read back issue magazine like i'm all about wanting to put context to things and understand what was happening in the background hell that's what i've been doing with all my interviews for the last you know seven years since i've started doing them is to, to put context to what was happening behind the scenes and understand it better um so yeah and so we're no closer to finding out the next book of the month uh, selection 
We will figure it out. We'll do it off podcast, I guess, and it'll be a surprise for everyone. I do think that what we need to do is kind of pick either a decade or a character, and then and then and then pick the other. Um, that you have tons of epics, but I know you haven't read them all. So let's pick an epic on that shelf that you have not had a chance to okay. read yet, that I have as well. Okay. And let's read it together. Okay. Let's... Well, not together. I'm not reading it to you. But no, okay. You pick a decade. Okay. I'll pick a decade. You pick the character. Okay. Okay. Are we doing this now or are we doing this live? Let's do it live. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go 80s. All right. So you're saying 80s. So I'm thinking about it. I'm going to look at my shelf and I'm going to look at my epics and see which, which, well, I don't have a lot in the 80s, but let's see. So what I'm interested about here is we might end up with some weird stuff that like isn't, uh, isn't usually talked about. So let me see. Uh, do you have Amazing Spider-Man Ghost of the Past? Yes, but we did two episodes of Spider-Man. We should switch it oh, up. Oh, we did. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's friends. It's my it's my man. I know. I know. We could do a Thor. We could do a Thor. Let's see. You know what I haven't read? But it, it could be weird to start there. I haven't read the final gauntlet, which is 90s. I said 80s. You did. That's right at the very end. At the very end. Do you want to do the Thor? Do you want to do a Thor in honor of, of the Falco and Friends? Should we do a Thor book, <laughs> book of the month? Months? I mean, I'm always, I'm always game. I love, I love the character of Thor, but I also love Friends and the Falco as a team. I think it's a severely underrated run. Oh, 100%. Uh, well, I mean, they, they, uh, it's because they came after Simonson. That's what's so. That's what's so interesting about it, is they came after basically the definitive run, in my opinion, but it, it's. I feel still very good. All right, you want to do Final Gauntlet? Let's do it. Do you want to do Final Gauntlet? Do you want to go to the beginning? Um. Well, I I feel both ways. I mean, part of me is like I don't know if I've read all of it, and so going to the end is a little weird. But at the same time, it's exciting, and I like it to be something you haven't read before. So something that both of us can read. At the same time that we have never really experienced. Okay. All right, you're an, you're an expert in in Friends and the Falco, so I'm sure you'll be fine. And I I think it goes into the Ron Mars run. This is very similar to what's happened here. Yeah, actually, yeah, because we, we we just have a lot of Ron Mars. He's he's in everything we talk about now. Jeez, that's so <laughs> funny. All right, all right, cool. We got it. All right. And it, and it's kind of appropriate because Thor is like the most recent. Marvel movie. This is true. So, have you seen it? I have. But did you like it? I really love Thor. I realized that just as a character, she has a lot of stuff in it that she Thank you, everybody, for listening to The Cave of Solitude. Thank you to Adam Chapman for joining us. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Follow us on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow the Omniverse Comics Guide. We will be back with more episodes and stay tuned for some after show credits. Did you like it? I really love Thor. I realized that just as a character, so there's a lot of stuff in it that just makes me happy even when it's it's a little overly comedic at times. Yes. I think this it, time around they, they missed the mark on when the comedy is good and when it ruins a good moment. Mm. I will say uh, one of my favorite things uh, was just the goats yeah
That's see, that's the same thing for me. Like, it makes perfect sense that they would make that much noise. I I don't know why they make that noise or how they made that noise, but I love the noise. And I'll and always time, hear I it now. Like, I want to hear more of these horribly <laughs> shrieking goats. Like that was the type of humor that worked because that's the noise they would make. But then they're still making it where it's like, would those things shut up? Like that would be funny in a very serious moment. Yeah, I want to believe that Taika Waititi went to someone who was like, this is the sound. And he just did that a lot until someone came up with like the right modulation and how to create that voice. Or maybe that's his voice. Who knows? That's been like, you know, stretched and changed. Like, I want to believe that he spent time with someone in, you know, visual in sound effects to be like, this is what I want. Yeah. It's, it's visually very, like I wasn't upset at, at anything visually in it. Like I even like the, the um, audacity to, to have Thor in that armor. Like, I love that. That mm. they do that sort of thing. Just to just say, like, yeah, we did it. But I also feel that there's certain missed opportunities. I get why Thor is comedic. I do. Because I laugh at some of... I laugh at a lot of it. I don't know... Okay, this is a spoiler. So if you haven't seen the end of, uh, of Thor, Love, and Thunder, please don't listen and just enjoy. enjoy. Uh, but um, for those who have, um, I think the problem is how do you... How do you juxtapose Hercules, who is meant to be the oaf and kind of a, you know, more of a, um, yeah, just an oaf and kind of a goof at times, with a Thor who is now a goof as well? Because in the comics, Thor is very serious. Thor is stoic. Um, you know, and then you have him, especially in the, you know, the Friends and the Valka run, you have Hercules very over the top, just kind of silly and goofy. How do you, you know, they work well together as a result. But when now when you introduce Hercules into a world where his personality has already been usurped by Thor, I don't know if there's enough as much room for both of them. I think, in the same way. I, I think I totally get what you're saying, and I think at this point in time, um they're gonna reference things from the comics from like, hey, we know where that's from mm-hmm. and it only will please us, and then we're gonna be upset at the fact like you ruined what the story like the story's so good for a reason. And you mm. and you kind of like, you didn't ruin it, but you people are gonna think that that's what they're gonna get if they read that, and it's not. Yeah. And and no. it disappoints us because we know why. Like that story is so beautiful, it's so epic. Just the, the story of the God. And as I'm watching it, I'll probably.